Hey everybody and welcome back to the Off The Key Podcast where we talk about music of all varieties and today we are finishing off our Spooky-tober, Spooktober, Spooky Spectacular Month with the grand finale in the final week of October, John Carpenter's Anthology, Movie Themes 1974 to 1998. And today I'm joined by my two regular co-hosts, Garrett. I thought you were going to forget about us there for a second, but you clutched that. <laughs> yes. And James. Hello. John Carpenter is a, an American filmmaker, composer, and actor, and he is mainly known for his work in horror, action, and science fiction films of the 70s and 80s. Some of the most iconic horror films and science fiction films of all time have been made by John Carpenter. Even if you haven't seen these movies, you've heard at least one of their themes. No doubt. He's responsible for Halloween, The Fog, The Thing, you know, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, They Live which is actually one of my favorite movies of all time. Escape from L.A., classic, classic, classic freaking movies. Also a master soundtrack producer and composer. A lot of these movies, he is writing part of the script or all of the script. He is directing, and he is doing the soundtrack at the same time. Man is going hard in the paint, doing way more than anyone would reasonably expect of a creative mind all at the same time. His run from about the mid-'70s, to like, to like early, the late 80s, yeah, early 90s. Yeah, early 90s, like 91, 92 is just phenomenal. Yeah, some of the best horror and science fiction horror movies of all time. In fact, he doesn't really do a whole lot of like writing credits or directorial credits, but he's doing a whole lot of soundtracks. In fact, he did the movie Firestarter. He, that's his recent soundtrack along with the recent Halloween Kills. Yeah, film score compositional legend, yes. to say the least. Well, it was actually Garrett's idea, but, you know, we all kind of agreed that talking about John Carpenter would be a great way to finish off Spooktober because this man has produced so many iconic soundtracks for so many different iconic movies. And we thought we'd talk about his 2017 anthology because that was kind of a, a catch-all discussion point. Now, we aren't going to be doing ratings for this project because it's more of a compilation it's not really intended to be an album with a full theme or a complete piece or anything like that however if you take out the big trouble little china theme and you take out the in the mouth of madness you could almost make a cohesive if someone if you someone gave this to you without no context you haven't seen or heard anything of it before and handed you the track listing minus those songs you could think that this was like a 70s like early 80s electronic ambient album and yeah john carpenter definitely has a consistent sound throughout his film score discography generally speaking these are just yeah, individual, individual yeah. collected tracks now I do want to mention one thing about this anthology. So this is actually a re-recording of his most popular scores that was actually done with his son, Cody Carpenter, and his godson, Daniel Davies. So this isn't the original original, but these all pretty much sound the same. They're cleaned up, they're modernized a little bit, but the, the integrity is still there. So I will say one of the biggest things that I noticed about John Carpenter's tendencies is he likes to use a lot of real dark synths. Oh, my God. Like almost every track on here has some kind of dark droning synth that you would hear in like some dark wave or some new wave from like the 80s or something like that. Assault of Precinct 13 came out in like 73 or 74, 76. That blows my mind. Yeah. Some that of these, does not sound like something from the mid 70s. Some of these soundtracks sound like the future. What I did as part of uh, preparation for talking about this is I went and watched 
some of the scenes that these movies came from or that these themes came from, you know, the movies themselves. And I watched it in context and I can only imagine what it was like seeing that in the seventies and the eighties. Carpenter was really ahead of his time. He perfectly sets a very eerie tone in every single thing he does. It sets the standard for creepiness. That's what I love about his music. His film score methodology is surprisingly very similar to the way he writes his movies. It's very minimalist. It leaves space. It's very atmospheric. There's a lot of room and tension that leaves you thinking. Like he's pretty much just says like simple but plodding drum beat. And then he'll write the hook, whether it's on a guitar or a keyboard or a synth. It'll have that that hook, that little riff. And then he'll have the just the darkest freaking synth you could ever imagine going over top of that. The synths on the Prince of Darkness theme, John, where'd you find those? Because, <laughs> oh my God. So the, the synths were actually programmed by Dan Wyman on not only Assault on Precinct 13, but The Fog and Halloween as well. He actually teaches film scoring at San Jose State University in California. Wyman actually worked with electronic music pioneer Paul Beaver during his early years. So I guess you could say John Carpenter had some really early interesting connections. And it's cool to see that he saw that and was like, wow, this is the sound of the future and went with it. I was kind of impressed looking back because, you know, I've seen a lot of these movies, especially, you know, They Live, Halloween, The Thing. And it's been a long time. But when I went back and watched parts of them, I was so impressed by how one and the same the soundtrack and the film composition are. Carpenter clearly has a very deep understanding of how to use his soundtracks and his film scores in a way to enhance the movie atmosphere. Or at first, I thought the theme for The Thing was almost lacking a bit. Given some of the other ones, I was just kind of thinking to myself, I was like, you know, it doesn't really like it. It's not as like catchy. It's not as punchy. But then I realized that it leaves a lot of space. You know, there's a lot of atmospherics and like the space that it leaves in that track. And that's very similar to the movie that it, you know, it gives that, that tension of your thing. A lot of the horror comes from like the unknown, you know, thinking like who, who is it now? You know, who's been got essentially the way it links up like to the movie, it fits it perfectly. Really? What more could you ask for? You know? On top of that, I'm just impressed at how well these songs stand up in a vacuum. Yes. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that I listened to them both ways because sometimes, you know, you can listen to a soundtrack and it sounds really great with the film in question, but when you listen to it in a vacuum, it's not as punchy or memorable. But I almost every song here, I would say, was pretty memorable. I was also impressed by Carpenter's riff composition. I was surprised at how many of these riffs were stuck in my head all week while I was listening to this, especially, you know, They Live, Assault on Precinct 13, In the Mouth of Madness. God, in the Mouth of Madness just sounds like it's like a Nintendo theme for some kind of like PlayStation theme for like a hero-based action score. Like that is honestly maybe my one of my only criticisms is that having seen the movie, this is the one theme that I don't think fits as well as the other ones. It, it's a little bit too over the top. So this theme was actually composed also in a collaboration with uh, Jim Lang, who was the composer for the Hey Arnold theme. God. (laughs) (laughs) And Dave Davies of the Kinks. That was kind of a big part of how it ended up. And also, John Carpenter originally wanted to use Enter Sandman by Metallica for this movie. Unfortunately, he couldn't secure the rights, so he pretty much had to write his own 
Enter Sandman. And if you listen to it, especially in the intro, it sounds very, very similar. The movie is just so crazy and deals with a lot of themes of, like, you know, psychosis and madness and issues of, like, the mind and perception. I think that, you know, not to mention that Sam Neill just goes absolutely, like, freaking nuts during the whole movie. I think it needs something either more stripped back or it needs something kind of zanier. It doesn't really fit almost, but it's still a great, it's still a great track. Now, Halloween, I think that's one of the most iconic themes here. Oh, without yeah. without question, one of the most iconic horror movies of all time. I, I think that theme fits perfectly. When you think of horror movies or Halloween, that's one of the first things that pops in your head. That 10-8 synth rhythm and tone is mind-blowing. It's so incredibly creepy. It's a big genre shakeup from what we're used to seeing by Carpenter. But the Starman theme from the movie Starman is actually, it's very emotional and it fits with the concept of that movie. You know, it's not horror oriented. It's more of kind of like a sci-fi and almost kind of like a romance movie. Like I've never seen the movie, but I can kind of feel what the movie's about through listening to that song. I just think that once I found out kind of like the overall plot of the movie, I was like, I'm probably going to cry during this movie. Yes, I cried during Ghost. Don't at me. One of the standouts for me also is The Fog. It conveys a sense of, of an inescapable horror that surrounds and penetrates everything. And that's exactly what The Fog is, pretty much. That movie still stuck with me, and I remember it to this day. That was something that really, really creeped me out. There's stuff in The Fog that's coming to fucking kill me? Nah, man. I was scared of the fog for a while after watching that movie. There's always this great emphasis on the fear of the unknown in his movies. And I like that more than a film that just relies on just jump scares. I like, you know, the fear of the unknown, the psychological elements, the atmosphere, the slow tension buildup. I like that way more than just a cheap jump scare gambit throughout the whole thing. That's what I can appreciate about John Carpenter's movies. I really like how he uses piano with the synths accompanying it over top and giving short staccato piano notes and then like the synths will be slow and droning in the background and that kind of sound layered over top of each other is really nice. And that's really what he's doing for a lot of these tracks, except for the more guitar-oriented one or They Live track, which is very bluesy. How much do you want to bet that John Carpenter was a YMO fan? It's, 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 it's a solid, <laughs> yeah. solid, that's solid. I wouldn't bet against it personally. Likewise. He loves to use those synths and rely on them. And it, it does kind of get a little old when you're listening to it in rapid succession. Because you do start to realize and notice some of the tendencies in his music. But he's always using it for a similar, I won't say an entirely similar idea, but there's always kind of a similar motif involved, I guess you could say. You know, most of his themes are science fiction, horror based. And it only makes sense that you want eerie, creepy, futuristic sounding music. Yeah, I will say in a vacuum, I did get tired of the tracks in some spots, especially towards the end. But still, it's a great soundtrack. Another one of the weakest is the Porkchop Express. Given how zany and kind of over the top that Big Trouble in Little China is, I feel like the theme is not enough. I agree. I agree. I I thought it was too minimalist because I've seen parts of big trouble in little china that movie's like outrageous it's, it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah and it, it's one of those where his minimalist philosophy doesn't really fit 
he needed an approach kind of like in the mouth of madness, whereas in the mouth of madness needed a more minimal, minimalist approach. So it's, it's funny to me how those are flip flopped. I was about to ask you that. If, if would you flip flop those two? I wouldn't directly flip flop them because I still don't feel like Ford Trump Express is still too over the top for in the mouth of madness or not enough. It just, they don't quite fit. They're good in a vacuum, but they don't fit. What'd you guys think of the Christine theme? So it's pretty good, although with a lot of the later tracks, the last three movies are really the only ones that I haven't seen, uh, Dark Star, Starman, and Christine. I actually haven't seen Christine either. So I couldn't really fit that you know, with the movie, although I do need to see Christine and Starman. I will not watch the Dark Star. That movie looks awful, if we're being completely honest. <laughs> but that was like his first one. It's like a sci-fi black comedy almost, although it looks... So bad that it might be funny. So maybe I will check it out eventually. But this theme is killer. But yeah, I will say, I think what makes Carpenter stick out so much in my mind is how one and the same his movies are in all aspects. He clearly has a deep understanding of how to convey horror, how to convey fear and uncertainty. And I think that's what you get across almost all of these tracks. But the thing that keeps him fresh is that the idea, like the overall concept of the movie, are like very unique from movie to movie. If he kept going at it, oh, different slashers in the vein of Michael Myers, then all of his movies would have gotten old fast. But he was coming up with a, a unique idea every movie. Yeah, In the Mouth of Madness is inspired heavily by H.P. Lovecraft. Those I mean, his entire, insanity. all of his movies are fucking inspired by Lovecraft. Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, In the Mouth of Madness is the is one the that's... the most direct. Yeah, yeah, it's the most on the nose of them all. The thing is also inspired by a Lovecraft book, isn't it? It's called The Something Mountain. Yeah, At the Mountain of Madness. At the Mountain it's, of Madness, yeah. yeah but if he didn't have these unique... And, like, They Live, which is with all of its themes of consumerism and... Corporate overlords. Yeah. If he didn't have these unique ideas, like these unique pitches and concepts for a movie, then I could see his work getting old very, very fast. And he picked great people to work with because he wasn't just writing all the scripts for these movies like all the time. Like he had help and he would write half of them and just a little bit. We're, we're talking about a man that he just lives life all day. Every day. He does whatever he wants, and he's inspired by everything he does. Take Prince of Darkness, for example. Carpenter said that he was inspired to make that movie after, I guess, a long night of research about quantum and nuclear physics. Why would a film score writer and a director, screenwriter, be researching applied nuclear physics? It's kind of like there's two... Oh, there's probably more, but two ways I could think of about how art usually comes to people is like through a series of very strong emotions and what they're going through and feeling or curiosity. They're delving into a subject that they're curious about, you know, on a whim. And then it opens like a door to all these other things. And then they get inspired off of that. And John, John Carver definitely seems like the latter. Like he was interested in all these, all these different concepts, all these different theories and the works of others and that. So all these ideas just are just coming to him. And then some of his movies inspire other movies, like Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. He actually, some of those movies are actually like a trilogy, like Prince of Darkness, The Thing, and In the Mouth of Madness are... They're in the same continuity, yeah, right? Yeah, the see, yeah, are in the same continuity. 
He calls it the, his Apocalypse Trilogy. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned how influential John Carpenter is to modern cinema, to modern soundtrack. This guy has inspired so many people after him. You know, some of these movies may not have been huge. Like, they live... Well, The Thing was kind of a cult hit more than anything before it got its actual respect and popularity. But I guarantee you everybody that saw that movie when it came out probably became tried to enter the film industry. (laughs) That's also another common theme among almost all of his work. They all start out almost universally panned by critics, but end up being cult classics. They end up garnering a cult following years after release, or even right at their release. Yeah, I I think, you know, a couple of examples of films that did get big for him were like Halloween, The Fog. Those were some of his really big movies or Big Trouble in Little China. But a lot of these movies were basically either hated or completely pushed under the rug when they came out. It's one thing that he was so ahead of his time, but sometimes that can hurt you in the beginning. You know, years later, people start to realize, oh, wait, this is like genius. And still relevant today. And that's one thing I think I can appreciate about Carpenter is that he still kept going regardless of the fact that a lot of his movies initially weren't praised at all. They were hated. It was a different time. He was influential in the way he went about his soundtracks too because it has very minimalist. If you listen to any anything from like the 50s and 60s, even if it's a more like a thriller, like the soundtracks are so orchestra-oriented. They're so bombastic. They're so, it's almost like, the composers were trying to make catchy tracks on their own, like standalone, that some of them don't really fit. Some of them were really over the top. And he was like, okay, what if we just did like very minimalist, gave it very, a lot of space. Let's scale that back. We also, we also got to think what was coming out during that time period. I mean, you know, you had the star Wars movies and that was one of the biggest soundtracks of all time. One of the biggest film scores of all time. And that was real big and grand and super memorable and catchy. And John Williams just making bops. It's kind of interesting, but, uh, you know, Hans Zimmer actually name-dropped John Carpenter as an inspiration for one of his soundtracks. It was some movie he did in 2016. I can't remember the exact name. Zimmer has even acknowledged John Carpenter. Which is funny because I, I feel like Hans Zimmer is the, is the median point between John Carpenter and John Williams. He can do both. It's interesting that he says that. I can see that, especially on, like, Interstellar. Yeah. Yeah, I was almost 100% certain that he did that, but my brain was telling me, I like, can, no, I for some reason. Check if you yeah, want. He, he did. He yeah. did I, there's a lot of John Carpenter in that. That minimalist, but there's, like, more, like, of a grand build-up, and it builds, 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 and then it gets, like, real grand and real orchestra and real intense. Like Williams. Yeah. My favorite film composer will always be John Williams. Yeah. Uh, he's right. kind of like of the Michael Jordan of film score. Michael Jordan of <laughs> film score. I mean, just does not miss. I mean, even Memoirs of a Geisha was movie wasn't really all that good, in my honest opinion, but that soundtrack still slapped and fit perfectly. Thank you for the excellent comparison, Garrett. Goat. Greatest of all time. Then who would, who would John Carpenter be? In terms of basketball if, players. If, <laughs> in terms of basketball players? If, <laughs> if uh, John Williams is LeBron or Michael Jordan, whatever you said. Probably Kareem, just because of how many bops he's had over the years. Long career, put up a lot of points, versatile, did a lot for the organization, did a lot for the film industry. 
Great fundamentals. Yeah, a lot of great fundamentals. <laughs> on, on and off, great on and off the court, you know. God fucking damn it. <laughs> top five off the top of my head, like Williams, Zimmer, Carpenter, Yoko Kano for throwing that little anime bit in there. George Giacchino. I, I can't pronounce his, can't remember how to say his last name. All great cinema composers. I'm really glad that you brought this up because we haven't, we've been talking about doing soundtracks and film scores, but we haven't really delved into it yet. And I think this is a nice starting point for that. Oh, it'll happen. That Cowboy Bebop soundtrack will happen at some point. That is one of my picks that is, is up there. I, I said this at the beginning of the episode, but we aren't going to give this a rating for a few reasons. It was just more of an open discussion for us to talk about, you know, the history, the impact of the specific composer and his works. And I actually think this was a pretty good idea. I agree that we should probably do this again. You know, maybe we can make it into a vote. Let's get the audience involved a little bit and say, Hey, you know, who do you want us to talk about in terms of film score composers, soundtracks, leave a comment, let us know. Film scores are the soundtrack of all of our favorite stories. They're the music. They, amplify the emotion in all of our favorite stories is there any other purpose to music than to amplify the emotion and life in general their base root that is what music started as and what it will what it always will be and if i could really give the audience a little takeaway that you should listen to all these themes and you should watch almost all of these movies the only movie that I would not really recommend is probably Dark Star, just because that's his first work. That movie is super dated. I wouldn't say that really any of these movies are negative, besides like Starman and Christine. I can't give a rating on those because I haven't seen them, but all the rest of them are pretty good to great landmark pieces of cinema, so you should definitely check out his work. This Halloween, get out some blankets, or get into a costume, go to your costume party, maybe sit around the couch, and watch some of these films. Especially if you're in a spooky mood. Almost any one of these films that we're talking about in this compilation will scratch that itch. I know I'm going to watch some of them. And my girlfriend and I, we're probably going to do a binge of some of these movies. So, hey, get in the Halloween spirit, man. And I think this anthology soundtrack is a great way to do that. Not only as a way to appreciate the music from these movies, but as a, a gateway to see the movies themselves and enjoy some scary stuff on Halloween with that being said uh, any final thoughts guys nope alright well this is off the key podcast this is the finale of Spooktober and we're out of here have a great Halloween guys and stay safe everybody, Mac here, and I just wanted to give a shout out to LaCrembo for the intro and outro music. Also, check out our link tree for where to follow us. We are on Instagram and Facebook and a variety of streaming platforms. And if you could give us a sub or a listen or even a follow, it'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. See you later.